0: All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Behind the Human. My name is Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the mental fitness practices and stories of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. Today we have a special treat, an in-person treat. Hannah's here with us, and she is a dancer of liberation. I love that already. (laughs) Driven to support others in accessing their own through the innate wisdom of their bodies. She is the founder of Samaya a meditation, meditative movement method that releases stagnation and takes us into higher states of consciousness. She is also the director of programming at Holos Costa Rica, a retreat space and holistic community with indigenous traditional medicines at the center. Hannah began, began as a professional, professional dancer and became a somatic healer through her own academic and personal healing journey. Through her development of Somaya, she healed herself of Crohn's disease. Since then, she's shared the practice around the globe and expanded to include preparation and integration of psychedelic medicine journeys. I mean, that's fun. Right? <laughs>
1: Thank you. <laughs> that's fun. It's really funny to hear that read to me.
0: <laughs> well, it's, I mean, it's, it's a pretty exciting journey. It seems like you've been on quite the ride.
1: Yeah. So,
0: I mean, before we get into that, I mean, everyone gets the same question. So I've got to flip it to you first as well. And it's just, you know, titles aside and like your story and all that aside, just who are you you today?
1: Whoa. Who? That's um, a really big question. It's a multi-layered question. Who am I today? (laughs) I think every day I am an extension of nature. Mm. My body is an extension of nature. It's also the home for my spirit and the seat of the observer, which observes my body. But I've moved from a place of identifying just with my spirit being housed in my body to actually really identifying with my body itself because my body is the way that I get to interface with this world. It's the way that my spirit gets to touch and taste and smell and dance and love and fall in love, and laugh, and and all the beautiful parts about what it is to be human in this body. And then being human in this body, yeah, I feel like I get to play with various characteristics and archetypes of what it is to be human every day. So, who am I in this body changes from day to day. Um, and I think today, I'm a much more introverted version of myself. I'm a really grateful version of myself and I feel deep contentment in this moment.
0: Wow. That was unreal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've asked that question 350 or so oh, times wow. now. And I have to say that was probably one of the most powerful responses. Uh, but I'm also not surprised given the work that you do and given what i know about about you i mean it's you you can clearly tell that that answer came from a deeper place thank you i'm curious how you would have answered that question kind of the short version of it 10 years ago mm-hmm. or 15 years ago
1: what a great question oh what a great question where was i 10 years ago college i'd probably answer it very academically okay I'm a dancer, I'm an artist, I'm a seeker, I'm a student. Yeah, it would have been much more of a left brain, externally facing identification.
0: The vast majority of the population would answer in that way, just (laughs) FYI. Yeah, and that makes
1: sense. It totally makes sense too yeah yeah
0: so let's talk about that journey kind of post college and just mm-hmm. I know a lot of your work and and your story starts with dance, yeah uh, and continues to be dance uh in many ways, but I guess a different version of kind of what you thought so yeah. what what was yeah like how did how did how did you back into being a professional dancer I and mean, like what is what does that even mean
1: mm. yeah Long story or short story?
0: <laughs> we got nothing but time. Okay. Yeah.
1: Long story, uh, I was two years old. Okay. And there was a thing called Blockbuster at the time. Yeah, where I remember you, Blockbuster. You, yeah, you go and, and you rent like VHSs. Yeah,
0: we're officially and, old.
1: Yeah, exactly. What the heck? So my parents took me to Blockbuster and I picked the Michael Jackson's Thriller VHS and took it home. My parents put it in the TV for me and I could not stop watching Thriller and just rewinding it and picking up the dance moves and dancing to it. I mean like hours and hours and days and days. And finally my parents were like, all right, this girl needs to dance. Let's put her in dance class. And I just fell madly in love with it. And we tried other things like swimming and gymnastics and all I wanted to do was dance. And so I don't know that I chose to dance as much as dance has just been Mm. this innate part of me. And thankfully I had parents who saw and and nurtured that, helped me nurture that. And um, I started dancing competitively around six um, and then at nine years old, I auditioned for the Debbie Allen Dance Academy and I got accepted into the academy. My parents couldn't afford uh, to, to send me to that school. And so Debbie Allen, Miss Allen, put me on a full scholarship. And so from the time that I was nine to 16, 17, I trained 40 hours a week wow. for free. And that began the really kind of rigorous dance training. And Miss Allen took me to Italy when I was nine um, to do a tribute to Rudolf Nuria for Italian television. And that was kind of my first experience as a professional dancer with my mentor,
0: Miss Allen. How was that? How did you feel?
1: Oh, it was incredible. I felt... uh, I felt so honored, and it was just so much fun as a nine-year-old getting to go to Italy with a few of my dance friends and my mentor, and ate so much gelato and so much (laughs) pasta, and we got to go to Rudolf Nureyev's private home on a private island off of the coast of Positano, and today it feels like an absolute dream, Um, and that definitely marked a, a pivotal moment in my life and in my dance career. Uh, and I, I thought that I would pursue professional dance as an art form, as a performer for the rest of my life, until something else happened that that also changed uh, my life pretty dramatically and marked another pivot point for for me in my career.
0: Okay. Well, so we're obviously going to get to that. I, I but I do I do have to ask because I think like any any childhood what's the right way to phrase that? Like childhood actors, mm-hmm. dancers, like really anyone that starts. So I guess aggressively or uh, yeah. with such, you know, focus at a young age like that. Uh, athletes, you, you see that as well, obviously. Yeah. Like, I'm just curious while you were going through that, were, were you enjoying everything? Were you like, oh, my friends don't do this? Like, what was that like?
1: Phenomenal question. There were moments I enjoyed it thoroughly. There were moments I developed pretty profound resentment mm. toward dance and the amount of rigor and training that it took. I was in, in, in high school, I took mostly AP classes okay. and was dancing again 40 hours a week. And so that was my whole life. It was my academic world. And dance and that was it. I never went to summer camp. I didn't I didn't have the kind of life that I think most middle schoolers and high schoolers have. And my body was under incredible strain for the majority of my preteen and teen years. And so
0: I'll Bend share there was
1: and my mind. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I was, I would get home at like 10 PM and then have three, four hours of homework and then would wake up at six, 7 AM and do it all over again. And yeah, it was, it was really challenging, but then there were these moments. I remember I was in modern class and I was sheneying, like spinning across the floor and I felt time completely slow down, and I felt catapulted into, into the present, and colors were much more vibrant, lights were much brighter, and it was almost as if, like, time actually didn't exist in that moment. And it was one of the first moments of my life that I felt deeply connected to something so much greater than me, something that felt like it existed outside of myself, but also deep within myself. And so dance brought me into that space. Mm. And so even though there were moments of extreme stress, dance brought me to the most divine place. And it continued to bring me there over and over again. And moments like that continued to make the rigor worth it.
0: Yeah. Well, and it, I imagine too like it set I mean, it kind of set up your journey right now. Yeah. Which it seems like there's probably a lot of those divine moments or more. Yeah. Um and a lot of people just don't ever experience those moments. Yeah. So it's interesting how that kind of all comes full circle. Yeah. So what was just so the listeners don't send me hate mail, what was the <laughs> what was that moment that moment that changed your i guess your path and your your vision of being a professional dancer
1: yeah a, a very clear demarcation for myself and my identity and my desires in life was when i was 16 miss allen brought me and a few other american dancers to oman which is a country in the middle east and she was the cultural ambassador of the U.S. at the time under the Obama administration. And so we were sent to Oman to bridge gaps between Omani and American culture through dance. And the experience really changed my life. I don't speak any Arabic. And mm-hmm. um, the the men that I met in Oman didn't speak any English, but they were break dancers And we Americans were dancers and we communicated through movement and song and music and learning each other's prayers through body language. And the journey shifted my relationship with dance from being just a performing art to being a tool for personal and collective healing and cultural bridging and from that moment forward it started to feel almost disassociative for me to perform on stage because dance took on a whole new meaning in my body and my heart and in my mind and so I had these plans to go to a conservatory like NYU for example and just really continue my dance training yeah yeah And I couldn't do that anymore. It felt like a lie when I started applying for for conservatory programs. And so I ended up finding this incredible program at UCLA called World Arts and Cultures with a dance concentration that studied the arts from various cultures around the world throughout history. And that felt right. And so I applied for that program, got in and then also decided to study psychobiology. And in my psychobiology courses at UCLA, I started learning about the works of doctors like Dr. Candace Pert, who discovered that the body actually stores memory on a neuropeptide level in our cells and our tissues and our organs and our nervous system. And so when we experience a traumatic event, That's not just getting stored neurologically in our brains, it's actually getting stored as memory inside of our bodies. And so I still didn't really know what I wanted to do with this new kind of academic footing and this reshaping of my relationship with dance. But then out of college, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease and felt really badly for myself for a couple of weeks. Sure. And then realized that it was actually a profound opportunity for me to test what I'd been learning and experiencing in my life on my own body to heal myself. And, and that was really the inception of what is now Somaya, the somatic healing method that I developed.
0: I mean, just hearing it, obviously, in retrospect, it just seems like almost like such a perfect flow of events, but I can imagine and, and you know, probably is, but I can also imagine there was some stress there. Like yeah. when you weren't going to NYU in the fall, like how are your parents with that? Mm-hmm. How were, how were you real? I mean, I know there was, there was an alignment thing that you could feel, but yeah. at the same time, like you've probably gathered an identity in a way, yeah. right? Yeah. And you kind of had to, let that go or let it morph into what it needed to morph into. And you trust that that was the right path. Like, How did you manage all of that?
1: Yeah, totally. It's, it's a funny, (laughs) a funny thing in the moments, in, in certain moments, life can feel like, what the heck? And then a year from that moment or two years from that moment, it, like you said, it all kind of comes together as if it's this beautiful puzzle piece forming, but Sometimes we can't see the forest if we're too close to the tree. And often in life, we're very close to the tree. (laughs) And when I was really close to the tree in those moments, um, yeah, it was definitely difficult. I think so much of life is actually dying to our past. And I think what really helps me, though, in dying to past identities and shedding past identities is... I used to think that life was to become something or to strive to be something and continue to put on layers and layers and layers until I became the thing that I wanted to become. And what's really helped me and what I believe is closer to my truth is that I am not really here to become anything. I'm actually here to strip away all of the stuff that I'm not in order to return to the truth of who I am.
0: Profound. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> yeah. So I think, I think in those, in those moments of like, ah, what am I doing? How do I, how do I shift this identity or, or it's just a matter of for me being still and just letting myself molt and shed and letting that part of myself die. And the beautiful thing about death is it's fertilizer for new life. So I think I, in those moments, it was, it was the first kind of big identity death that I had, which was really, really painful. But I think the more I have, the better at dying I get. So hmm. it becomes easier and easier because it feels like another chance to dream. It feels like another chance to, to welcome in more life.
0: Did you have practices that were helpful or journaling prompts?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I know we, we really bond over the journaling. Yes. Dance and writing are are my two passions of life and journaling for sure. Thank you for bringing that up has been a gateway for me to let go and to understand what it is I'm letting go of and to give myself permission and safety to just,
0: you just free write to get yeah. it started or like what, what helps? Cause there's a lot, I, yeah. you know, I, I, and thanks for, for being open to go here. Just, there's a lot of people listening and myself included that, you know, it's the prompts help, right? And <clears throat> we all go through, we, we all have these experiences, but often like have a hard time letting go. And to your point, it's like the opposite of what you're describing. And, you know, we're, we're putting on more and more and taking more mm-hmm. in and whatnot until you reach this like, crazy breaking point usually right so my goal is always like how can we not that the breaking points are bad because they teach us a lot obviously but also just is there ways to release some of the pressure and and the mental like turmoil and struggle that we put ourselves through when we're trying to go through that kind of death process Mm. of identity and whatnot so i'm just curious when you're journaling like were there any prompts that came to mind Mm. that you can remember or even that you use now when you go through this, this process?
1: Yeah. Um, Anything. Yeah. Oh, I love this question so much. I think for me, it's been the combination of movement and free writing. So if I, for example, if I were to write, get out a journal right now and start writing, it wouldn't be as powerful for me and my system and my body and my mind had I first put on some music and danced for 10, 15 minutes. Okay. And then exhausted myself and then opened up a journal and started free writing. And so that practice during that time throughout my life was really big, it was inviting movement into my life and right after moving some things through my body, writing and it, it it almost feels like when I'm moving, it's like sifting things out of me and creating more space for, for my mind to process what yeah. I'm experiencing. And then the journaling was like an outlet to release the residual from my mind onto the page and almost allow whatever cycle I was releasing to come to completion. Through my body and 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 through my mind onto the page. The other thing that really helped, or the other person and his words that really really helped during that time, and continue to help me to this day, uh, David White reading David White poetry. Okay. Um, he he has this one piece. It's actually not a poem, but it's more like an essay about heartbreak. And it's about embracing heartbreak as a friend, like so much of, of our life, many humans kind of like to dance around heartbreak and do whatever they can to avoid it. But the reality is so much of life leads to to heartbreak. Whether it's actually ending a, a love relationship or it's a, grieving, a lost loved one, or it's even in the happiest of, of marriages that lasts for 30, 50 years, we experience heartbreak. And so the more we can embrace heartbreak as a friend and a teacher, and we can celebrate it as a way to stretch us into more love, the more we can embrace life. And so, Reading David White and then dancing and then journaling, uh, that seemed to be a recipe uh, for success to be able to accept whatever pain I was going through, move it through my body, and then write it in a way that lended itself to some feeling of completion.
0: Hello, friends. Given you're here, I'm making the assumption that you're motivated to be mentally fit. So with that in mind, I want to let you know about the Better Questions newsletter, which publishes once or twice a month, providing all of us the opportunity to slow down, think and ask better questions. As you know, quality questions are my thing. And this is an opportunity to share the prompts I've studied and curated to help our minds be healthier, clearer, more intentional and expand our mental capacity. You can sign up over at behindthehuman dot com slash newsletter, which will also give you a preview of my debut book, Personal Socrates. That's behindthehuman slash newsletter. Now back to the show. So how do you, for people that don't have a dance background, <laughs> let's say, yeah, how do you help guide people into movement in in a, in this kind of situation? Because like I even think of myself, like it's, it just feels like awkward, yeah. right? And so I'm curious because I love I loved any kind of practice or idea around almost like prepping our mind to, to yeah. then release, right? Like the same thing for me, I, journaling is the thing that I think we resonate with that or on that one yeah. together where it's, it's helpful to, to release and process. But I use, often use breath work first. Yeah, as well to just kind of set it up. And same thing when we're working with teams, and it's, it's you know we just we start in the reflection a lot deeper. Yeah. So for movement, how, how like what how do you guide people into that? Like what what would be, you know what's the what's the method? Is it just just do what you feel like it? Like what what is it? Yeah. This is probably your method. I'm assuming, but or part yeah. of
1: it. Yeah. Yeah. The with Samaya, how how we start is well, if someone feels uncomfortable with the word dance and I just won't use dance, I'll just say movement. Um, because we're all in a way moving all the time with our body language, the way that we walk down the street, the way that we gesticulate when we talk, all of that is expression through our bodies. And so I think it's it's innate to, to us being in bodies as humans. So I think just taking away the label dance really helps. Yeah, And then... I'll also, within the method or with clients that I'm working with, I always start by taking people into their own bodies and what they're experiencing in their bodies through neurolinguistic programming, a little bit of kind of hypnotherapy, um, but really doing a body scan of like checking in. Our bodies are constantly speaking to us. Every moment of every day, our bodies are speaking to us. It's just a matter of, are we listening?
0: Yeah. Are we taking the time to tune in? Or uh, ignoring those signs all the time, right?
1: Exactly. Because society um, is constructed in a way that pulls us outward in many ways instead of looking, yeah, inward. And so I'll uh, give people the invitation to turn inward what's happening with the sensations of your body today? Where is breath moving through your body in a way that feels free and expansive? Where might you be feeling some contractions in the body? And contractions might be in the form of physical pain. Uh, They might also be in the form of energetic kind of constriction or hollowness. Sometimes a lot of people I work with, myself included, sometimes it can feel like a kind of pit in my solar plexus like a black hole in the space between my rib cage and when that's happening like what does it mean what is our body trying to tell us maybe sometimes there's tension in the heart space or a blockage in the throat and so really I start with just hey what's what's going on in your in your body And I help people really go there through various kind of uh, language and various inquiries. Does that feeling you're experiencing have a shape? Does it have a color? Does it have a texture? Sometimes it has a sound that it wants to make. And then it's, it's similar to parts work in that, like internal family systems work in that we'll take whatever part is speaking to us most loudly in the body And that's what we'll play with. What does that part need from you today to experience release? Sometimes it just needs to be acknowledged. Other times it needs sound. Other times it wants to shake. Other times it's craving just stillness. And stillness is a beautiful part of the dance, of the practice.
0: Mm. Oh, that's interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so it's just a matter of creating the container for people to go within and listen to whatever their body is telling them and whatever their body needs in that moment and then moving from there. And yeah.
0: I love it. So, so for people listening, let's say they wanted to do this tomorrow morning. Mm -hmm. Would Would your suggestion or flow be just at least get, give people a bit of a taste, be the kind of like close your eyes and and just do a body scan, see where there might be some tension or or something is being called out to you and just put focus there. And then just basically, I guess the big thing is to do everything after this step to to like release self-judgment. Yeah. Right. And just... Like you said, if it, if it requires stillness or if you need to get up and like shake or move, like close your eyes and just like fucking let it go. Yeah. Like, right? Totally. Okay.
1: I love that. The, the self-judgment is a, is a really big one and I'm really glad you, you brought that up. It's a really, really important point. And and even I go through that as a, as a dancer and and someone, and then sometimes I move my body and I'm like, ooh, that's weird. And there's that little voice that's like, oh, that's not weird. That's just, it's great. It's release, it's freedom, but it's still there. And the thing that helps me and the, the thing that I share sometimes with people is replace the judgment with the curiosity of a three-year-old. Just get like deeply deeply curious as if you were three years old again yeah and explore whatever's going on in the body and whatever wants to happen in the body with the curiosity of a three-year-old that yeah. seems
0: to help oh i like that i'm gonna try that myself yeah yeah <laughs> the questions from a three-year-old even even i have a seven-year-old as well yeah. and like even the amount of questions and it's like the thing that always stumps me is like that's a really good question I actually yeah. don't know. You know yeah. I don't know and I never thought to ask that question and that is the one that always just like lights me up as mm-hmm. as a dad seeing these kids just have it, you know, having not been like brainwashed yet to not ask questions.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh it's just like a beautiful experience. I love that if we can co- go back to it. Aren't we all just like trying to get back in some level or form, kind of what you're saying about who am I, mm-hmm. stripping all the stuff away and getting back to like our true selves. Yeah. Which we're, were born curious. Yeah. You know, without judgment and without all this stuff that, you know, we layer on. And mm-hmm. if we can get back to that place it seems like a pretty happy place.
1: I agree. Right. Very much. Yeah. And I love that about your work too is the questions that you ask people and that you ask the world and that you ask yourself support us in returning to that truth. And it also sounds like you just mentioned your, your son sounds like he takes after you in that way, asking really beautiful, potent questions and that you're really incredible mirrors for each other. And it's really sweet share
0: doing, doing my best. That's for sure.
1: (laughs) You're doing so good.
0: (laughs) Uh, So, how did you heal, heal the Crohn's? I wanted to mm-hmm. talk about that. Yeah. How did you, like, where did you even start? I guess what gave you, for you mentally, the permission to say, okay, thanks, Western medicine. Mm-hmm. I know there are solutions in mm-hmm. that world, but that's not good enough for me.
1: Yeah. Profound pain, mm. physical and emotional pain. Uh, yeah, when I was hospitalized, I was, my inflammation was all in my small intestine. And so that's water absorption. I was incredibly dehydrated. I was in phenomenal pain. And the, the hospital really wanted to, to pump me with a bunch of steroids and antibiotics. And my body said no. My body said no. And so I just listened to that. But for two weeks at home in severe dehydration and severe physical and emotional pain, I felt fairly desperate until I just decided to open my computer and research. And I decided to research small intestine meridian, so the the energy pathway for the small intestine. Uh, and and the, the meridian system is rooted in ancient Chinese medicine. And I, I had also remembered that the one thing that really, really, really helped a lot of my dance injuries was acupuncture. Um, and working with this incredible doctor who who ended up mentoring me um, in understanding the meridian systems. And I found out really quickly that the small intestine meridian is directly paired with the heart meridian. So when we're not processing something In our heart, that for for me, I'll speak in first person, I was literally suppressing that, pushing that energy downward into my small intestine, not processing, not absorbing those feelings. And it was creating severe inflammation in my small intestine. And this came from, uh, I lost a lot of friends very young. Um, I, I have a lot of um, family members with fairly severe addiction and suicidal tendencies. And I was also the the person who really put it upon myself as a very young child to keep everybody in my family safe. Mm. So I didn't really have space to process. It's a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure and a lot of like I need to hold it together for the people in my life. And then I, I went through a, a really, really devastating breakup Uh, with someone who is still one of my best friends today, but at the time it was just totally heartbroken and that's what really landed me in the hospital. And so very, very clear what I wasn't processing and my heart was getting stored in my small intestine. And so I started to play with this information with neurolinguistic programming, taking myself into scanning my body, specifically this place of inflammation, communing with the space in my body, asking what do you need to release? What do you need to absorb? And I started like processing those unfelt, repressed emotions from my heart into my small intestine.
0: How? How did you do that?
1: I mapped out the course of my life and looked at pretty much every age I'd experienced severe inflammation in my in my gut, um, and mapped it to what I hadn't processed in my heart and gave myself permission to finally process and move through that. As I did that, I started moving, creating movements like dance movements along those meridian lines, so the small intestine and heart meridian moving up through my abdomen, out through my shoulder and elbow and left pinky, and combining that with breath and emotional release and wow. Through that process, very quickly, my inflammation went down. I started getting hydrated again. And I also noticed that my general well-being went up. And from there, I started working with other meridian systems, the spleen and the stomach, the kidney and the bladder, et cetera. And I created a cohesive methodology methodology that works with breath, neurolinguistic programming, Movement along the meridian lines and emotional release. And that is now Samaya. Oh, yeah. Wow.
0: That's incredible. Thank you. Incredible. Thank and you. like, it's just so like, this isn't to knock Western medicine. There are places, of course, but it's just, I'm always so amazed to hear and, and experience like, there's just so many other options that if we, can just be still enough to ask the questions mm-hmm. and, and then of course put the work in. Cause I mean, you, you know, like I don't want to downplay the timeline and I, I can only imagine, you know, that was probably really hard to go back and in a way rel- relive some of those experiences to then process and release them and, and whatnot. Like you've got to put in that work, but there are other options. Like there mm-hmm. we've, we've become so conditioned to, no, it's just this way, or this mm-hmm. is the comfortable way. Yeah. When they're, you know, there's there's just modalities and things that have existed. I mean, you're combining a whole bunch of really incredible um, modalities and practices, but like some of these things have been around since like the beginning of time. Like, yeah. why are we giving them more attention? Yeah. Right. It's wild. Absolutely. I, I have to ask, like, with through some of your, client work and especially on retreats as well like what are are there any I mean keep it confidential of course but any other like wild kind of experiences that you could share just again just to provide a different perspective and like hey this is possible
1: yeah yeah thank you for that question I also as you were just sharing you said something about getting still enough to ask the questions sometimes we just have to get still enough to ask the questions. And I just wanted to pin that because I really love that a lot. And I'm curious around how you get still to ask the questions you do because they're so potent. And yeah.
0: yeah you I want me love... to answer that one?
1: <laughs> I would love to yeah. if you don't mind. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, it's, it, it is, it is for me at least, it is a bit of a dance because it's... Yeah. I think it's doing for me, whatever I can from a mental fitness perspective, and that just encompasses a bunch of different practices that feel right in the moment. And I've mentioned breathwork and journaling, of course, Mm -hmm. but there's physical fitness, there's walks. And sometimes like this happened yesterday, just it felt like the calendar, the schedule was just busy. Mm. And I had a few key things that I wanted to accomplish. And I remember I had 20 minutes before an interview. And there was a moment there of just like a breath of, okay, I could check off probably, I can't remember what the item was on the to-do list and then basically log into the interview three minutes before. Hmm. Or, and I'm happy I did this because then I felt so much better because the rest of the day, I felt like I was just trying to basically survive. Uh, I mean, that's a bit dramatic obviously, but you know it was in that state of, just trying to catch up and stay afloat. Yeah. So in the 20 minutes instead, I just laid on the ground and, Mm. and paid attention to my breath, which I think like, I mean, it gave me obviously something out of that, but the way I was trying to look at it is I have this interview with an individual that's taken time out of their day to come on and speak about their journey and whatnot. And like, I owe them that level of presence, Yeah. you know? And Again, for me, it, it doesn't feel like it doesn't always feel like the natural thing to do. And I think it's because we're just surrounded by the opposite of that all yeah. the time. So I just, I try to be present or mindful of when I'm feeling like there's a lot going on, mm. that there just know that there are solutions to just breathe mm. or take a walk, you know, without like, like the conscious thing of, of taking a walk without a podcast or an audiobook or to you know learn or whatever and just kind of listen of like uh, what like what is you know you talking about like what does my body need I'm mm-hmm. like what does my mind need right now mm. and um and again this happened the other day too it it, it felt like it needed a, a hike at the mountain over here in the <laughs> morning instead of like a weight session to start the day so I did that and um yeah so that I mean it's it's interesting because it's I guess it's pausing to to listen to then yeah. be more still. Really,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Right. So. I
1: love that. I love the level of attunement that you have to what your mind needs to get still. That's beautiful. And Thank you. I think it's a, a a skill and a practice. It's something you're so exceptional no. at and, well, I mean, and teach people well thank,
0: I, I appreciate that <laughs> but I was gonna say like that's the thing and that's that's I think why I like the language or, or the language of mental fitness resonates because yeah. you know people can get good at running as well if yeah. you train and yeah. put in in the work and for me it's just been you know 15 years now at this point of studying these practices and having conversations like what you and I are having to okay, I'm going to try the movement piece before journaling. And, you know, maybe that might work for someone else yeah. as well, or that for me personally might work in a very specific situation. And then then we just have a, like a list of tools mm. always available, Yeah, you know, no matter what the situation is. And I think like that's the thing that lights me up so much about this work is, or the mission behind it, whether, and you know that there's a whole bunch of different projects that you and I have been talking yeah. about. It's all just to make this stuff accessible. Yeah. Because I just there's so much mental suffering. Yeah. that I really don't think would be there if people had even a fraction mm. of these tools and just had 10 minutes a day of some sort of mindfulness or mental fitness practice and we'd the ripple effect of that would be beneficial for everyone. Yeah. And do we not deserve that? You know. Yeah. Totally. So. Yeah. Totally. Sorry, that was a long-winded no, answer. thank but
1: you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Back to you. What other yeah. experiences have? Uh, yeah. Have really like implanted in your mind of? I guess made you feel proud that you went down and followed your own journey to to m- make your incredible work accessible to people.
1: Yeah. I have a very, very, very specific one okay. that came to mind when you asked. And I built out a, a program out of safe houses mm. in a state in the U.S. And so I was working with women who are coming out of very, very, very violent, abusive relationships. I was also working with some women who are coming out of being sex trafficked. And the program that I developed was, was really thorough and started out very, very gently. It was for 12 weeks. And it was about week three, if I'm remembering correctly. And at the end of the session, and it was a group workshop with these women, there was one woman who was crying. And as she was crying, she had a huge smile on her face. And she came over to me after the workshop and she told me her story, which was really intense. Um, um, A very violent relationship for about 25 years. Um, Wow. That led to severe skull fractures that then led to developing brain cancer that then led to alcoholism because of all the suffering. And she came over to me and said, this is the first time in about 30 years that I felt safe and alive in my body. And she also had numbness actually in her left pinky that had been there for about 25 years. And she said she had sensation back in her pinky finger. And in that moment, I like held it together and hugged her and was like, yes, wow. And then I got in the car started driving couldn't drive like pulled over i was shaking yeah and just wept and it was it was one of those moments of fully realizing that i was living at the center of my dharma and why i'm here on this planet and there were so many moments prior that were so difficult like what the heck am i doing I'm now also like a CEO of like growing this business. What is that? it's? It was so stressful, all of the business sides, the financial sides of it. I was actually kind of at the point of almost giving up, and then that moment happened. Mm. I was like, okay, it is all worth it. Yeah, and it was also one of those moments. It's like I think I could die tomorrow and be
0: stoked. Yeah, yeah, you know.
1: Um, wow. Yeah, that was one of the best moments of my life.
0: How do you? Do you pull that moment back? You know, if, if you think about present day right now, because you and I have talked about this, and I find this is a bit of a theme in the general space that we're in, where it's for the most part, many people are are doing this work to help others, right? Yeah. And there's like a, a real noble cause there. But you alluded to the fact, like we are running our own businesses, yeah. and there's realities to that, and we have to live and all of that. So. Like, how do you, what's the balance that you've struck? Or how do, you, how do you manage those two worlds?
1: Yeah, really good question. More patience and gentleness with myself. Uh, I'm, I've heard this term before. I'm not coining this at all, but it, it, it lands for me. A recovering perfectionist. So at the time that I was just sharing during that story, I was really in perfectionist mode, Hannah. Okay. And I've since unlearned some of that. I'm still recovering. I'm still learning. Um, You're human. We're, yeah, we're human. We're human. And it's a beautiful thing to be human in this body. And it's also really challenging sometimes. And what has made it less challenging for me is just being patient and gentle with myself and allowing... Uh, myself to make mistakes and learn from them and to also saying i need help i need help i don't know how to do this or i'm stretched way too thin or i'm taking a mental health day and i'm going to be away from my computer and my phone completely um, and that has helped significantly What used to happen is I would push and push and push and push myself. I think because I'd practiced this, I'd exercised this push muscle so much as a dancer. I would push and push and push and push until I was totally burnt out. And now I can notice symptoms of impending burnout before I get there. And that looks like I'm an extroverted introvert. And so what that looks like for me when I'm leading up to burnout is I don't want to see people. I just want to be with the trees all the time. (laughs) And so when that starts to happen, I'm like, okay, I really just need to take some time for myself or time away from technology. If I don't listen to that, and I continue to work with clients or do workshops or work like at Holos, we are working as a team, work in person with team members, Yeah. Um, then I would just continue to, to walk toward burnout. The, the other thing that would happen is my mind would start to run really rapidly in the evenings instead of decompress. Mm. And so when that starts to happen, I'm like, okay, I'm reaching burnout. Yeah. And so then you so don't now, sleep well
0: either. It's just a, exactly. it's a terrible loop.
1: Exactly. It becomes a cycle. And so I, I know what to notice now. Okay. And and I can make the shifts in real time before it gets too far. Um, and as I do that, again, just being gentle and patient with myself. And like you said, um, having certain tools and practices Really, they really come in handy. And for me, that's having a morning routine.
0: Talk to me. Yeah. W-
1: wake up, have my morning matcha, listen to some really beautiful music, have drink my matcha outside, yeah. journal while I drink my matcha, taking the dog for a walk, exercising, maybe doing some yoga, and then having a dance practice and then journaling again before I even check one thing off my to-do list. Okay. If I have my morning practice, I'm pretty much okay. Yeah. If I don't have my morning practice, it's
0: questionable. <laughs> yeah, Stress yeah. may
1: hit. So <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's a bit of a that. gamble. Yeah. 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 You I mean I'm sure everyone can hear this just as as I am. I mean you you strike me and you've put in the work to do this, of course, but you're you seem incredibly in tune with yourself, your body, your spirit like the just the whole package and it's it's really beautiful to as someone looking in from the outside to experience have you ever thought given you have gone through this journey what it would be like if you were to go back to professional dancing in this state of hannah and dance from this place whoa
1: whoa i have never thought of that I don't think I would. Mm. I think I would say no so immediately to the way that I would be expected to treat my body. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. With that, could I maybe start a company that has different parameters around what rehearsing looks like, possibly?
0: Mm. That's, that's, a, really that's interesting
1: I oh, <laughs> planted some seeds there because there is you know my my partner is a performer he's a musician singer songwriter And he's on big stages all the time and I see him on stage and it's so beautiful mm-hmm. and I see how his music impacts the people listening and brings them so much joy and beauty and I see how he shines on stage and how he's, like, so home in himself when he's performing. And there is a part of me that misses that, a part of me, not a big part of me, but a part of me. And so maybe there's, yeah, maybe there's something there to explore around performing from where I am now, but in a totally different kind of contextual world around
0: dance. Well, I would sign up for that. (laughs) Can I buy the first ticket?
1: Absolutely, (laughs) it'd be an honor, I'll Uh, let you know.
0: Amazing. Well, last question for you. I mean, we could speak for hours. I know. (laughs) know. Um, What makes you smile each day?
1: Mm -hmm. Conversations like these new connections like these that are blossoming into sweet friendships and uh, trees. Oh gosh. Trees. I really love trees. It's actually (laughs) insane. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've also noticed that specifically weeping willow trees.
0: My favorite. Right. Yeah.
1: When I, when I go past one or sit under one or see one, it's there's something that happens to my body and my system that doesn't happen with anything else in the world. It's like this warmth in my heart that radiates out through my entire body. And I immediately feel like safe and
0: cocooned. Yeah. Well, it's like the tree that gives you the big hug.
1: Yeah. It's, right? the, it's the hugging tree. It's <laughs> the best. So that trees really make me smile. Um, my partner has a three-year-old son, almost four. Spending time with him makes me smile. When I think of him, I smile. From a place that I've never smiled before. Mm. And dance. Dancing for myself and no one else. That's kind of the, the interesting paradox of the question of what you just shared is there's part of me that misses being on stage, but most of me feels lit up when I'm dancing alone. And it's just me for myself in my body, for my body, for my spirit. And then getting to impart that invitation to other people. Wow.
0: Yeah. Well, I can't think of a better way to end. I mean, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for thank you making the time to have this conversation and being so open and and vulnerable and just sharing your story, but a higher thank you for just following your intuition and those whispers, because the ripple effect of that is helping so many people like Mm -hmm. that woman that, you know, you shifted or that, that felt safe for the first time in like 30 years. That's, that's something to be really grateful for. And, um, I'm just grateful to to, to know you mm. and, and see where, where our friendship goes, of course, as well. So thank you.
1: Thank you. Me too. I'm so grateful for this connection and your questions and the really thoughtful work that you do and also your ability to really see people and support people and feeling safe to, to open up mm. to, to you and to all the people who listen to this beautiful kind of world that you've you've cultivated for yourself and us to be a part of.
0: That lands right in the heart. Aww. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Mark. <laughs>